welcome to the Better Being Podcast with Greg Stark and Ali Orr. This is a podcast that dives into the four pillars of performance, movement, mindset, nutrition, and mental health. We speak with experts, find real-life case studies and helpful anecdotes, and we do our best to learn more about optimizing human performance. In today's podcast episode, we spoke with Dr. Craig Duncan, who is a really interesting guy. He's an Australian performance scientist who has been involved with a lot of Australian teams. He was responsible for helping the Socceroos. He's been involved in the New South Wales State of Origin team, specifically for when they broke their drought and uh, came back in 2018. And he's been involved with a lot of really great athletes um, over time. And his experience coupled with his view on life gives him a really interesting perspective and helps us to see how sports science can be applied in the real world. Greg and I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Craig Duncan, and we hope you do too. Hi, Craig. Thanks for coming and chatting to us today. We're really excited to um, have a chat with you about your life and about your work and about performance science in general. And I guess um, to kick us off, it'd be really awesome if we could have a little background about you and um, how you got here and all the cool things you've been up to. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Ali. And thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I suppose my background was uh, I was always involved in sport, which, you know, as a, as a young Australian, it's quite common and uh, primarily soccer or football that I, I played. And then I always thought that I'd play that professionally, but I just wasn't good enough. And uh, so after a while and trying a few different things, I went and studied sports science. So I I studied that and then uh, progressed my studies and eventually did a doctorate in in sports science. And then just from there, I've worked at multiple levels of sport. Uh, You know, in the past, I've I've worked in gyms and as I was going through university and personally trained people, but then went into sport uh, as a, as a sports scientist and then into professional sport. And that's where I've been pretty much for the last 15 to 20 years working in professional sport, uh, primarily in soccer, but then uh, through our experiences of working with Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers. And for four years, I was head of sports science for the Australian Federation, working with the Socceroos and the Matildas. But from my experience there, then people wanted me to work in rugby league and other sports as well. So uh, since 2014, we did a lot of work with the New South Wales State of Origin team. And uh, we also now work with the Manly Rugby League team. So I say we because uh, we have a company, Performance Intelligence Agency, that that consults across uh, numerous organisations, numerous sports, and also in the corporate area as well. So all about maximising human performance. So I've been really fortunate and uh, and still uh, how I met you all those years ago was uh, at uh, university and I still have a position at the Australian Catholic University, which is great because I love to teach and be involved in that side of things. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah, that's really awesome. Mm. Um, I just wanted to ask you, I guess, um, in terms of all the things you've done, you know, personal training, um, being involved in sports science with elite teams and then corporate stuff, what, what's the thing that challenges you the most? What are you really into? What, what's hard, you know? 
I think uh, the, everything is a, is a challenge, an enjoyable challenge, and that's what I seek, uh, the challenges. So normally I will only stay with a team for a, you know, a few years, three or four years, and then try and find a different challenge. Um, in saying that after the Australian national team, I went and worked for the Iran national team. So then there was the challenge of uh, different language and trying to implement our systems and the strategy into something quite remote and that isn't used to it. And then just recently uh, we've started working with a Japanese team as well. So again, language barriers, uh, not used to our protocols and procedures and seeing how I can implement that. So everything for me is a, is an enjoyable challenge, but overall the, the thing that I'm, I suppose, passionate about is seeing all individuals just be able to maximize their potential. And whatever that potential is, if I can enhance that or be an aid to that, then that's what excites me. 2014 was a, a massive year for you. I mean, you probably achieved more in, in one year than most people do in a, in a whole career. I mean, there was mm -hmm. a State of Origin win, the Asian Champions League with the Wanderers. Asia Cup with Socceroos, and then that all culminated in you becoming the Sports Scientist of the Year. Yeah, year as was, well. Yeah, it was a it was a really enjoyable enjoyable year. Uh, and to take a step back, it came off the back of a very difficult year in two thousand and thirteen when I had major issues with my heart. Um, right. So I had uh, a, a number of heart attacks in January two thousand and thirteen. It's been quite well documented about me and. I actually did a TED talk in that area, um, identifying the issues that I had. But it was basically, um, I had an injury to my heart, which then led to me having these multiple heart attacks over a couple of weeks. So from 2013, where life nearly ended for me, it was, was that serious, to really changing my view of life and then having that great year in 2014. It just shows that there's, there's uh, there's always light at the end of the day, you know. Uh, after the difficulties, there'll always be be that sort of renewal, and and you'll be able to get success if you if you keep pushing along along. So yes, 2014 was very very fortunate. And so I guess in that sense, what what did you change fundamentally from 13 to 14? And then second to that, in I mean, with with all that going on in one year, how do you prevent yourself from burning out and and being able to sustain yourself through that period? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. And I think it was my entire perspective of life and how I was looking at it. Uh, and what I mean by that, I was too focused on the uncontrollables in life, really trying to control everything and not just focusing on, on what I could. Also not having gratitude and and just being thankful for everything that I had, that I had a wonderful life. But at that stage, I wasn't very happy because I was working with a team and there was difficulties. Uh, we had been, you know, copying a lot of criticism. So I was going home unhappy. Uh, but when you look at it, when you, you, you have this, this illness, you sit back and go, what was I even thinking? And uh, I couldn't control what was happening there. We were doing the best job possible for us, but it was just uh, people's perception that there was, there was issues in respect to injury and a number of things. So I was just so focused on that, that 
I was missing the big picture. So I was able to sit back and go, this life isn't really for me at the moment with the professional sport. And I started to focus on thinking, okay, an academic job would be good. And I was very fortunate to be able to get a job at a university and start that. But uh, as I as I felt more comfortable, I got into consulting and, and changed and then sort of came back into professional sport with a new view of, of how to uh, progress. Two, like you said, Greg, prevent burnout. And burnout is a major issue in our society. And, um, and it happens when just anxiety and stress just becomes too much and we're not learning how to cope with it. I guess that's probably a great flow on as well is that I guess that that burnout concept is very similar to what you have with athletes and overtraining. And that's a a main part of, of what you do. How do you, how do you maintain that, that fine line between performing at a high level and making sure you're not burning out or overtraining? Let's just focus from an athlete perspective. How do you, how do you do that from an athlete perspective? Well, well, I think if we look at what, what is performance and if we're looking at maximizing performance, we look at that equation, we'd go, well, well, performance equals your, your capacity uh, minus what I would term all the noise. Uh, some people simplify it and go fitness minus fatigue. But I think it's bigger than that. It's the capacity side of the equation. But then we've got this noise side of the equation, fatigue, stress, uh, all, all the other things that detract away from your capacity. So this goes into corporate or anyone listening to that. They can think about that. We, we spend a lot of time on the on the side of the equation of building capacity. I think in sport, increasing fitness is quite easy. That's not the hard thing, but ensuring that people are able to perform at the optimum time and managing the fatigue to prevent, as you said, burnout or overtraining, there's a little bit more, um, more thought that needs to go into that. And I think that's very important. I've spent my, my career focusing on that side of the equation a lot of people in sports science, rightly so, uh, spend their time on building the capacity. That's all, that's all well and good. I've got no, no issue with that because I have to do that as well. But if you do not manage the other side of the equation, it's no point, you know, we'll increase, increase capacity. But if we also increase the noise, we get no net gain in performance. So, so that's, the, that's the issue. So we really have to look at all these other sides of, a, of an athlete's life and I, I focus on a holistic performance model and uh, yeah, as, as deep down as well, you know, how are they coping personally? How, how are things going there? What stresses do they have in life? What's taking away from them to do the simple thing, which is to play football. So do you use uh, objective data to do that or, or is it more one-to-one conversations coaching or, or do you use technology and, and, mm. How does that all come together? Yeah, I, I've spent a lot of time developing and being involved in the development of technology uh, to guide our decision making. So through uh, collecting real time uh, data on a daily basis to identify uh, norms and, and when people are outside that normal range. So we've done a significant amount of work in that area and uh, I'm very I'm proud of that work and that guides our decision and our coaching. And it's not only objective data, but it's also subjective. And you also touched on something very important. Do you also have the conversation and very much you, you can. So right at this moment, we would have on our system, 
probably six, 700 people around the world uh, putting in data each day. And then from that data, if they're outside what we term their optimal performance zone from the data analysis, then, then we will be notified and then a conversation starts. And then from there, that's where coaching can come come in. And uh, I think that's a it's a really nice model, and it's and it's how I've worked. And um, yeah, so it's it's a combination of objective and subjective data to come down to the to keep people and to identify when they are in or when they are outside their optimal performance zone. And then I, I know that, for instance, I mean, the Socceroos or the State of Origin team, I mean, they're, they're only coming together for a tournament and a short period of time where you might not get access to that data. How do you, how do you overcome those well, sort of challenges? Well, I advocate that you still monitor them every day of the year. Um, yeah. So with State of Origin, when we're involved in them, I advocated that we, we started monitoring them from January, leading into games in May, June, July. Uh, Socceroos was all the way through the year except their holiday break. I'm very strong about that. A lot of people might not agree uh, that we need to do it that much, but the the amount of data that we have uh, really informs us to make critical decisions. Also, the other thing is if you're looking at representative teams and and particularly national teams, they might not have that support in their club and particularly with the Australian soccer team where they're all around the world, taking a minute or two out of their day to uh, complete some information for us and their data coming to us. And if they're not okay, sending a message to someone that's, that's based in Bulgaria that doesn't have many people speaking the language around them, they feel quite isolated, getting a message from us, are you okay? Or, or is there anything we can do can really enhance their life. So I've got so much um, uh, experience in seeing the positives of that that I, I always continue to do that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a challenging uh, aspect to it all, isn't it? Is the geographical changes, but I guess the world's changing at the moment where we're going to have people a lot more mobile and <laughs> out of their workplaces. Mm. Um, how does how does it what we're talking about here with high performance burnout, managing mm. oneself, how, how does that apply to the corporate world? Particularly, I guess, you know, in corporate, you don't have a very structured performance base where, you know, every weekend you've got to turn up and play for the game so we can build you up to the game or we, you know, we're building towards the, the grand final or the world cup. Um, essentially a corporate's got to turn up and perform every day. So how do, how do you apply that philosophy into that world? Well, very much I, I, when we work with corporate, we, we think of them as a team. And uh, that's how I refer to them. It could be team, you know, team whoever the company is. And then, yes, they do have to perform every day. But what is performance? First, we've got to identify what is their performance in their, in their task or in their job and having clear KPIs so that they can actually measure their performance. I, I say this a lot to corporations it's very important that we do this, that we create uh, an environment where people have these KPIs that we uh, actually work towards so we can say, uh, is performance happening or not? A lot of companies, what they do is a performance review once a year. I, I, I'm 
I'm at a loss to really understand if that has any great positive effect uh, because I think that can be sort of pretty much what we do on a, done on a daily basis and to see that are people tracking the right way. We also developed an, a basic algorithm where in sport we measure training load and that in corporate we're working on one which we call workload. So identifying how people are coping and what the load is that they're, they're undertaking. See, corporations, it's very important to have your people at work to reduce the amount of days that they're not at work. But the other thing is what we're getting is a lot of people that are at work but are not working, uh, such as presenteeism is a, is a major issue. So we need to be able to inspire people to do their very, very best while they're in the workplace. And I think our system really enhances, enhances that because it's showing what, what we know from research is, is uh, motivated employees, what are they motivated by? They're motivated by leadership that is interested, okay, in them. Self-care is an enormous one that the organization showing something and caring for them in respect to that person's overall health and then the inspiration of the leader. I think if we look at a, a number of organizations, you might find that some of those factors are limited and then, okay, it's hard to see your motivated um, uh, worker. But my theory is that uh, a very, very high percentage of the population that works, if not all, they want to go to work and do a good job. They, they, they really do. They, they, it's, it's innate in them that they want to do a good job. And how do they get marginalised? They get marginalised when they don't feel that's being reciprocated by the organisation. So the, we're there to and, uh, help the, the organisation, uh, the people and culture departments, the human resources department, by having this real-time monitoring that is daily rather than this end of year performance review or the, or the twice a year engagement uh, mm. review. So, yeah. It's, it's one of those things, isn't it? The, the way that we measure performance isn't necessarily the behaviours that build the, the outcomes. I mean, what, what sort of metrics do you use in training load and then what sort of measure, uh, measurements would make up workload in the corporate? Yeah. So obviously in training load, you can do it a number of ways. It depends what sport you're using. You know, the majority of the time I'm using GPS. Uh, mm. um, so measuring all the distances that are, that are covered, but we also use rate of perceived exertion, which is a validated and reliable measure uh, where the person actually subjectively rates their, their um, effort uh, from zero to 10. And we've, I've found that to be very important uh, and because then that's teaching uh, the athlete to understand their their input to this this session. So we look at that and obviously the time that they're training. But there's a whole other range of objective data that we we measure. Uh, I I like to measure sleep, and so we objectively measure sleep and how people are functioning in that regard. Uh, a number of measures of the heart as well in respect to heart rate variability, resting heart rate. Uh, we, we've measured everything in athletes, uh, yeah. looking at salivary, cortisol, testosterone, IGA and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of inform, inform, information that comes out of there that can enhance the process. 
flipping it over into corporate, obviously we're not going to use GPS, but we can still use a rate of perceived uh, stress in the workplace. We can use all these measures. We've, we've, we've done some great stuff with Apple and the Apple Watch. We're basically, um, you know, people wear the Apple Watch on a daily basis. All that data sinks straight into our system without even them doing anything. Mm. So you can start to track how people are throughout the day and see when they're getting into these zones of, of high stress and then identifying, okay, raising that self-awareness. They're in that high stress situation and then coaching them, well, what do you need to do to, to bring that down to a, a reasonable state? Yeah, I mean, I, you're talking a lot about the, I guess, self-awareness and that, that mind-body connection. Your, your PhD was in philosophy. Uh, how, how do you see that coming together of, of the mind and the body? Um, and how does that differ between athletes and corporates? Yeah, I don't think it is different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always say that athletes are people first and uh, their work is just sport. And I think we need to, to look at this uh, I really view it in that regard. And I don't think it's being viewed in that regard, uh, regard as yet. It, the, from, from all the work that uh, I've been able to do and my experience, we're able to develop this philosophy that we call self-science. And that's based on the, the premise of knowing thyself. So really, I think one of the issues is is the absence of self-awareness can cause us enormous problems. And you guys would know just as much as me, like the days where you've just gone in, gone into work, someone says something to you and you just attack straight away. Mm. But two days ago, they could have said exactly the same thing to you and it wouldn't have affected you one bit. Now, you could be in a situation where you're in a very important meeting and everything that you're hearing is, is it, you feel like it's an attack and it could be a sales meeting, it could be anything. And then there's very negative consequences from that. Our philosophy of self-science is really a study of you by you to create this awareness so you know at all times basically what state you're in. So you're aware. So I might go, okay, I didn't have a great sleep last night. I didn't eat that well the day before. I didn't have a great sleep. There's a few stresses in my life. I've got to go to work. I've got critical meetings during the day. You are now aware I'm not in my optimal performance zone. So the chances of me actually getting a negative outcome are increased. Just by you knowing that, I feel and I've seen that there can be many positive outcomes. Uh, rather than the negative consequences if you're just going into it blind. And that's where the coaching comes in or, <clears throat> or the, the physical side of things, where it might mean, okay, we've got this, this issue, your, your stress levels are high, then how does me, uh, meditation work for you? Do we, can we work on that? How does some breathing exercise work for you? Whatever seems to work for you to bring you out of that zone into a positive zone, that's what we're all about. And what about for you personally? How do you, what, what are your go-tos when you notice yourself heading into that, that space and everything's overwhelming? What, what do you tend to? It, it all starts for me about the morning. Yeah. If I, if I, by having a good morning routine and then even taking that back to having a good sleep. Um, sleep is the 
absolute uh, foundation of performance. I used to think it was nutrition and exercise and sleep. I would say now for me, it's sleep. So very much I need to get that sleep right. I firstly need, as a self-scientist, identify how much sleep I do need. And I need eight to nine hours a night of good quality sleep, uh, and that will benefit me. I also need to wake up and not have to get it straight up. I need to be able to wake up calmly. I need to be able to come down to my office and to be able to write in my journal and reflect on you know, a, couple of, a couple of books that I'll be reading, sit there and have that time. Um, I need that. And then that gets me off to a good, good start. So that means if I have to leave earlier, I have to get up earlier, I have to go to sleep earlier. But I know for Craig Duncan to function the best, that's what, what works really well. So that's what I encourage people to do is to, is to identify what they need to feel the best um, for them to perform to their best. But I do think having a morning routine is, is so valuable. I also think uh, daily reflection in a journal is so valuable because it just heaps, keeps you uh, uh, fostering that self-awareness. <laughs> I guess, I mean, that's what works well for you, but then how do you have these conversations with in a team environment where people might not see the value in those things? How, how do you coach around that? How do you help them discover the things that help them perform the best? Well, that's, that's a great question. And, and it's about monitoring yourself. So if you can get people to monitor yourself and, but firstly, people have to see the need, you know, so Greg, if people don't don't see the need and they don't need our help, well, it mightn't be time for them at that that stage, and that is completely okay. Mm. Um, so we might start off with a group talk. Uh, I do believe that teams are made up of individuals, so it's getting uh, individuals and make maximizing their performance will maximize a team's performance. So it's about uh, creating the story, understanding the individuals that are in front of you. Uh, seeing where their where their pain points are in their life, and then identifying some strategies for them to to work on that, and then monitoring it. So if you implement a monitoring system, and so they they can see, oh, okay, things are improving. This is this is good, and then you get that buy-in. It's like anything, so you know, selling yeah. anything. However, with this, you know, it's a very much a win situation for the for the person. And those sort of things build greater self-awareness as well when you can put numbers to how something might feel and, and those it, sort of things. It depends. And, you know, in your work, it depends what sort of person you're working with. You'd work with a lot of corporate people that are very motivated uh, to perform. Mm. And so they're going to like the numbers. Yeah. You, you might work with others where the numbers are not that, that important and it might be just uh, identifying that sleep's an important issue. Let's, let's just work on sleep. Yeah, and it's uh, a more of a feeling type of thing rather than a numbers. That's exactly right. And yeah. it always comes down to that. I, I always will never, I like the question, you know, Greg, how are you feeling? You yeah. know, the numbers might say this, and that's what, even you can get some sleep data and you can go, oh, I didn't have a good sleep. No, I don't want you to look at that. I want you to think, how am I feeling? Yeah. And if you're feeling okay, then you might not need eight hours sleep a night. Your five hours sleep might work for you, but it's, it's making a, a very um, informed decision. Yeah. And individualizing something in a, a group setting as well is, is interesting. Mm, 
there was a study I saw you post the other day, which I thought was really great. Uh, it was about post-traumatic growth. And I guess after everything that's gone on in the last few months, that it has been a bit of a, a disastrous event and, and even things of more recent times. Uh, I guess, and, and these studies also showed uh, there was high occurrence of post-traumatic stress as well mm. uh, from that same experience. How, how do you, what, what sort of advice can you give to people? How do people turn, I guess, the events of the last few months into something that's an opportunity of growth compared to something that's mm. overcome them and overwhelms them? You know, how, how do people uh, give themselves the best chance to go into that growth? So, well, look, I think it's, it's different for every individual. Uh, look, I'm an optimist. Uh, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just how I am. So I will always try and look on the positives of, of anything. But one thing that keeps me grounded is, is looking at what just happened. What can I control out of that and what I, what I can't control? I, we had no control over COVID-19 and the reaction to COVID-19 and then businesses were shut down and um, all that sort of stuff. We didn't have any opportunity for that. Now, there would be some... Uh, grief in that, if particularly if people have lost their job and they've got difficulties or they've had sickness in the family, there's understandable grief. And I think it's very important to, to appreciate that suffering and to accept that. But like I said about not having control over things, I think there's also how we view life. I don't think the goal of my life is to be happy my goal of my life I see is just living a good life. Did I make a positive difference to this, this world or at least not do harm? So if I'm looking at that, I know in my experience through suffering is when I've had been able to learn the most. Mm. And so in this day and age where it's all about happy life and seeing the highlight reel on many people's social media, I think, we need just to take a step back and go, okay, it's all right. That was, that was tough. It was, it was tough for a lot of people. Now, where can I go from that? Well, let's look at the opportunities. What did I learn from that? One of the best things is that if you're sitting there now, you can go, Oh, you know what? I got through it. I'm okay. I'm still here. I, I had some really bad days, but I got through it. And probably in, in our, uh, in our lifetime, that's going to be one of the, the most uh, somewhat traumatic events for some people because it's very, very weird for us to all be restricted, to not really go out of home, to not be able to see friends. But you know what? If you're sitting there now, you got through it. Mm-hmm. And so that's got to give you the, um, to have, you know, pat yourself on the back, say you got through it. Now I've got through that difficulty what can I get through now? Things how nothing can really affect me maybe. So that's one way I look at it to think, well, okay, I, I got through it. I'm, I'm probably stronger for the experience and now I can move on to certain opportunities. And in the post-traumatic growth, which is very much an identified thing, uh, that's how people thought. They they saw that they, they had these very stressful situations, but they build up their resilience and then they were able to bounce on. Um, I would also suggest to people, if you are struggling, just to talk to someone. Yeah. You know, to have a, have a conversation and uh, and then you can start working on some strategies to move on. How willing are athletes to do that in that, that environment? Is there, 
is there a fear of, of speaking up still, or has that changed a lot in? in yeah, I think, I think it's very much, this is a relationship. Everything we work on is a relationship business. So as you develop relationships and you show interest in people, then they are more open to those situations. And uh, I'm finding, I've always had the, the concept that uh, athletes are just people. Mm. And so people need people and often they need to have a chat about things. Uh, and if they do have faith in you and you show them faith and trust, then those, uh, those conversations uh, definitely can happen. Yeah. So I guess when they happen more freely and organically rather than feeling like this is part of a job that I... Yeah, I found um, after I finished my studies in sports science, I went and studied psychology based on the fact that I used to see psychologists come in and it didn't really work because they didn't know the people. They would come in. Mm. But I was... I had this close relationship with players, so I thought if I had an understanding of psychology then I was in a really good position to foster positive discussions. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's just as relevant in what we do as well, that we know that there's only so much you can change someone in the, the, the time you have with them, that if you can change their psychology or influence their psychology in the things you say or don't say, mm. uh, the results are going to be extraordinary. Well, I'm sure a lot of your successes come on, come from you uh, having good people skills and fostering those relationships. And then the exercise is your vehicle for them mm. to get to a happy life mm. uh, or uh, a, a good life. But most of what, what you've done is not the exercise component. It's that relationship. And that's what, what is the beauty of it. And because that's why people will continue going. It's you build that relationship and then they feel like, Oh, okay, I'm going to exercise. I, I don't want to let Greg down or the team down or that sort of stuff. And I know they're there for me. I know they're to listen. I remember back when I was personal training, I felt, gee, sometimes I felt like a psychologist then. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's why I used to say to the students, I, I think often one of the issues in fitness and sports science is our fraternity doesn't have empathy because we're, we're that small part of the population that just loves exercise. We yeah. just love it. We're going to do it no matter what. And so it's a bit hard to understand people that don't love it. And well, when you put it in perspective and go more people smoke cigarettes that will kill them than exercise, we've got a big problem. And the <laughs> problem I think is us not having empathy, not going, hang on. If I can just get this person to walk three minutes out the door and three minutes back, that's a win rather than going, okay, they need to do this set program. So I often think maybe um, the best fitness instructors or the, the best sports scientists would be people like nurses or, or people mm. that actually had a caring demeanour rather than uh, this robust um, sort of athletic demeanour, if yeah. that makes sense. It makes 100% sense. I mean, that's the thing that we look for most in our team and mm. bringing them on board is, is the empathy that, as you say, a lot of people... <laughs> Not a lot. Some people get into the industry because they love exercising and mm. yeah, how great I get paid to exercise all day and those sort of things. But the ones that truly do it very well are the ones that love people and love relationships yep. and 
want to see other people grow. And like you say, exercise is just a vehicle in order to, mm. to help them do that. So I, I love all that. That's, um, it's like, um, the hairdresser or the barber. I love going to the barber regularly because I like the guys there, you know, and that's why, <laughs> yeah. why men traditionally went to the barber regularly, you know, once a week because they like to have that conversation there. The chat. Yeah. Mm. Uh, have you had a chance to watch the last dance documentary? Yeah, I did. And I really enjoyed that because I've grown to love NBA. Yeah. Uh, so I've really grown to love NBA. It's maybe my favorite at the moment. Uh, firstly through my son, uh, that I saw who's a, who was a soccer player, but just, they just do such great marketing and, and you fall in love with NBA. I was also very fortunate to see Michael Jordan play live in 1991 when I had no idea about basketball or did I know who Michael Jordan was. I just remember the people taking me going, oh, you're going to get to see Michael play tonight. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. Michael who? Yeah, no, it was very much like that. And um, I remember watching him play go, oh, does he play like this every night? And they said, yeah. And it was just, yeah, un unbelievable. Uh, and I spent a month in... Um, in December, we spent a month in New York, uh, my son and I, uh, and seeing a lot of NBA because one of my good friends works for the Brooklyn Nets now. Right. Uh, yes, and I watched the last dance and enjoyed it immensely. Well, what was the biggest thing you learned from it personally that you weren't aware of? Well, I, I, I never thought about it too much, but you see, I, I suppose because I've got uh, younger people in the, in the house, that have grown up with LeBron and the debate between, you know, who's better LeBron or Michael. And then, you know, this sort of underlying current that Michael Jordan is not a great person. I, I really watched that documentary and saw nothing to suggest that mm. I, I saw a, an enormously competitive person that was driven to win and would do anything he uh, could do to win. Um, people talk about him bullying people. Well, I've, I've seen that in sport. It's, I don't necessarily think it's bullying. I think it's just that, that drive to get the best out of everyone. And, um, and it, look, you can't be Michael Jordan and do what he did without, yeah. I mean, you're unique in every way. Yeah. And, and I mean, as he says at the end that he didn't expect people to do anything different to what, he was doing and not in talent wise, but just in work ethic and application and, mm. and those sort of things. But I think the thing that I found most interesting in that is how one individual can change a team culture. Mm. Uh, and I guess that's my question for you is how do you, I mean, you said you've seen bullying and things within teams. How do you, how do you create a positive team culture? And as a coach, how do you influence that culture? Well, if you look at that team, Phil Jackson is outstanding. Yeah. And if you, you know, there's some good books of Phil Jackson's to read. I think Phil Jackson as a, a very good leader of those men in that environment was able to create uh, an environment, uh, a winning environment. I think culture and corporate culture that they talk about, mm. I've got real concerns about it. Um, and because, uh, I think very much culture. So say in an organization, we want to have a good culture. I, I think it's, it's a bit different to that. I think it's about individuals 
having a very good knowledge of themselves and coming to the table wanting to do their very, very best. So if we work on an individual culture first, I think we're going to get a team culture. The other thing is in an organisation, it might be very different between a sales team, an accounting team, uh, another team and another team, that they will have their intricate culture inside that team and that should be encouraged. And often the culture is directed by the leader. So we need to really work on the leader uh, in, in regard to that. So, yeah, I've got my concerns about, uh, uh, you know, the, ones, the, the one size fits all culture uh, expert. Um, and how they go about things. I think it's a, it's a little bit more intricate than that, starting with individual culture. But in respect to the last dancing teams and all the teams I've worked in, <coughs> it comes from the, the coach. The coach first, the leader. Yeah. Uh, Basketball would also be driven very hard by someone like Michael Jordan. Mm. They have a lot of power. Uh, in regard and so saying the Lakers it would be driven by LeBron James and that sort of stuff and then it's just up to the leader the coach maybe to pull them into line if there is is some issues subtle and uh, I think Phil Jackson was able to do that very well look how he measured managed uh, Dennis Rodman yeah yeah amazing and now I know a lot of coaches that couldn't do that no and but what's the end of the day in sport it's to win yeah. And it's to perform to your ultimate on when you have to. Yeah. And, and it showed very clearly that Dennis Rodman, if he went away, he performed incredibly well when he came back. And uh, I think yeah. that was outstanding measure management. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, Dennis Rodman is, is a unique character and Bill Jackson allowed him to be the person he is and not conform. And like you say, mm-hmm. how, to, how to manage that within a, a greater culture of a, a winning culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess this might be asking you to choose your, your favourite child, but who's the greatest athlete that you've worked with? Uh, I've been asked that a little bit lately. Um, you know, it is, it is hard to say, but I, I'll just say who comes out when you say that. And, and it is Tim Cahill. Mm. And not because he's the greatest physical athlete or the greatest player or or whatever, it was just, uh, I just found him just from a holistic perspective to be, to, to be uh, very inspirational and inspirational to the young people as well and, and the young players. And I don't know if they fully uh, understood it. For instance, <clears throat> Tim had a great belief in himself I've never seen someone actually believe so much in themselves that he, he had a mantra. If he thought he was going to score, he would normally score. He, he believed in that. He uh, worked very hard to get to four World Cups um, and play there when he was 39 years of age. He could still play now, I think, he, but he has retired. He also has been very successful off the field. So he made no... He, he, was, he was able to develop his brand off the field, develop business interests off the field. And often that's looked on negatively where I think that should be applauded mm. because he, he's not going to have any problems post-sport, you know, with the integration into uh, a, a normal life. So he was very inspiring in regard to, regard to that. And, um, 
Yeah, so I would say say Tim Cahill. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And like I said, you, you always had a feeling he was gonna he was gonna be the one to pull it out the bag when you needed a last minute winner. And by the sounds of it, it wasn't even just on the field he was leading, but off the field he was. Yeah, I mean. I remember we were in uh, Abu Dhabi and we are playing UAE, a very good UAE side in a World Cup qualifier, 55,000 um, uh, of their people in the audience, uh, 38 degrees. I've never seen conditions like it. And uh, I remember going for a run the night before at the time just to see, you know, just so I could feel how difficult it was. And I'll never forget it because I was running and, I always run at least 30 minutes and I was about 27 minutes and I was thinking, I'm, I'm going to physically die here and, and seeing in the distance, the hotel and the sprinklers on and thinking, I'm just going to collapse on that sprinkler when I get to 30 minutes. And it, must, it was funny because as I got there, they'd stopped. Um, but I, I went to sleep that night thinking, I don't know how we're, I don't know how this is going to go. I, because for 90 minutes. Can't, um, you can't, compete in these temperatures when you're not accustomed to these temperatures, it's going to be very, very difficult. Anyway, we put everything in place and it was nil nil. Um, the, it was late in the game and I was warming Tim up and um, someone from the crowd said something to Tim, uh, you know, something derogatory. And he, and he went over to them and said, you, when I score, I'm going to come and look at you and I'm going to show that it was you have lost your country this game. He basically said that. And I was there because I was thinking, Tim, don't worry about him. Sure enough, he was on for five minutes and scored. And of course he came over and absolutely told the guy exactly what he thought of him. And we went on and won one nil. And that was Tim Cahill. Uh, the other thing, well, Jordan did that as Jordan did that as well. Like he, he would yeah. find a reason to win. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he he um he he was uh Jordan. Oh, I, I saw that and I've seen that in in Tim and seen that. But Jordan was incredible. Like the way he would. Okay, you want to sign that player? I will destroy you. And, yeah. and how many times did they say, "Oh, don't don't be nasty to Mike. He's gonna yeah." that's a different level. So I saw Tim do that a number of times. So that was really exciting. It's been great. Mm. I think Ali wants to finish with a bit of a a quick fire round and a couple of quick questions for you, but uh, it's been great. Yeah. I feel like we could talk about sport and athletes and all this stuff all day. And I feel like this conversation we've got had so many parallels with like the corporate side of things and sport. There's so many overlaps, you know, and, um, It's really interesting. I thought actually uh, a really interesting thing you were talking about, you know, about stress management and the stuff that, that we talk about with athletes about, it's basically the same thing, stress and strain, training load, workload. Absolutely. It's all the same. And, and I just had a question um, about that in terms of managing this acutely, um, whether you're an athlete or just, you know, like a lifestyle athlete training or at work, what, what can someone do if they're really feeling like they're overtraining or overworking, you know, what's, what's the things that you suggest? Well, well I think it, there's, there's a number of things. Uh, look, it's a big hammer of mine, but I do believe uh, very much in monitoring and, and being able to collect that data on a daily basis. And you can do that very simply, but just, you don't need us to do that, but it might be recording the number of hours sleep you got a night, rating your sleep from zero to five, 
reading how you're feeling psychologically and, and just basically looking at your fatigue as well. So you identify that. But I think, Ali, the key is having really good routines, you know, having a good morning routine. Rather than just getting up, brushing your teeth and rushing out the door, taking time in the morning just to even start with going, okay, these are three things that I'm, I'm grateful for. This is really important. Uh, I, I'm grateful for these things. These are a couple of things I want to achieve today. And uh, to go out and set your day up like that, I think is going to give you a really good start. Now, and, but if the day doesn't go according to plan, I, I just have the attitude that I'm playing a game and everything doesn't go according to plan. So I want to see how I have uh, gone, how am I going as a human? someone pulls across me in the traffic, am I going to beat my horn or go, well, I'm not dead. Why would I even toot my horn? It's not going to make any difference whatsoever. So I think just sitting back um, and, and taking a view of that. The other thing that I haven't talked about today is when I had that near death experience, I created this concept, what I call the deathbed scorecard. And I had a couple of nights where I thought, okay, I mightn't live through this. How am I in respect to life? Am I comfortable to go? And I was not, I was not. And that really worried me. So I talk about identifying five key things in your life. Um, you know, they might be your relationship with your partner, your children, uh, your mission or whatever that is, you know, a few key things in your life. But instead of waiting for your deathbed, do that daily, see where you're at and monitoring that just from that perspective and go, okay, I'm on track or not off track because people struggle with this, but very much, I think we need to live our life knowing that tomorrow may never come. Now that doesn't mean you go and put all your money on black at the casino. It means that we want to be ready at all times and be comfortable in where we're at at all times because fundamentally human beings think they're going to live forever and we're not. So we need to make the most of every day. And to be honest, I'm very respectful of people having difficult lives. Uh, but I think majority of people listening to this and the majority of people we know, we have it pretty easy. Um, we're one in 400 trillion that we're a chance to be born. We're born, so we've already won one life just to be here. You know, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet. If we went to school, we're ahead of majority of them. You go to university, what is it? 6% of the world's population get a chance to go to university. I think it's just to be grateful for what we have and then work back from there. However, I, I also am empathetic to people having that stress um, and that, but what to do with it is firstly to recognize it, slow yourself down. And then, you know, if you need help, get some help. Yeah, that's awesome. Super Very powerful nice. stuff in there. Mm. Listen to you talk all day. <laughs> um, we heard right. enough of it when you were a student. <laughs> this guy's just saying, I, I don't know if I taught you too much about sports science. That's my normal thing. The sports science stuff is easy. Let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, I did learn a lot of good life lessons from you, actually. Um, Thank you. The thing that you talked about, I guess, hammering the sleep thing, Mm. Um, is something that I did. So when I was at uni personal training, I actually took that concept that you taught me about making sure people sleep and I forced all my clients to monitor their sleep. Mm. And it's still something that I, I do myself. I like to, I use my Apple watch to sleep yep. and um, 
yeah, I'm always telling people, mm. Craig Duncan told me. <laughs> it is. Look, it's the disease of our generation, not getting enough sleep mm. and not getting the right sleep. And I think we just, I think it's, you know, people talk about sleep, but I don't think people really recognize how very important it is. And uh, yeah, I will say, you, you, if you're not getting the right sleep, forget exercise and nutrition. You know, you can do that all great, but if you don't have the sleep, that they work and are integrated uh, very well together. And if you're a corporate person listening to this, if you're not getting the right sleep and you're not exercising, and I'm not telling you what exercise to do, I'm just saying it's regularly and you don't have your nutrition on point, there is no way in the world you can maximize your potential. And I've become a bit stronger about that in recent times because I think a lot of people in corporate do want to perform. They're exactly like um, uh, an athlete. And back in 81, I think people started talking about this concept of the corporate athlete. There's very many people here listening. They want, you know, work is their, their day. Um, and even work I've done with people in the money market. Yeah, it's, it's exactly like a, a competition. You need to be primed physiologically and psychologically ready to perform to your best every day mm. awesome mm. all right so let's um go i've got a few quick fire questions i thought yep. would be fun to ask you yep. um if there was one thing that you could change someone's mind about what would it be uh sleep yeah sleep nice <laughs> make sure your sleep is on on point yeah maybe that's the answer to the next question i was going to ask what are you most excited about in terms of health fitness general well-being, those type of things? I think I'm very excited about the fact that it's, if we take a holistic view of it, that exercise should not be in a silo, nutrition should not be in a silo, uh, productivity should not be in a silo. I think they're all connected. And when we start to get into this holistic perspective, uh, we're going to ultimately help people much better. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. That is exciting. That's mm. awesome. Um, okay, next one. Do you have a book or a resource or a podcast or something you've been listening to that you would recommend to people to pick up? Yeah, I have a number of books. I think um, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite books is called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And Ryan's written, he's actually written a number of books, but he's got one called The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, and Silence is the Key. They're three books. They're loosely based on a, a philosophy that I follow, Stoicism, uh, that I have a great interest in. And uh, I think Obstacle is the Way is a really nice book for many people listening to this. Um, Podcast-wise, I listen, I, I listen to a number of podcasts uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast is always interesting because he, he uh, interviews uh, very interesting people. There's one I like at the moment called Against the Rules by um, <clears throat> the author of uh, Moneyball and he also was the author of Blindside and the author of um, The Big Short. Michael, I've forgotten his, I've forgotten his where is one of his books? Uh, yeah, but um, that's a fantastic podcast. And in actual fact, the season, season two of it is all on coaching, Greg. So it's, it's wow. interesting on the rise of coaching in every domain. Mm. I'll look that one up. Mm. Yeah, sounds like we all probably need to listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, that's good. 
Yeah. All right. Next one. Um, tell me some health hack or something you always do. Maybe a travel tip about you know trying to stay healthy. Well, <laughs> look. I mean, I'm not advocating this, but I, I have fasted for a long period of time. Um, probably, you know, for the last 12, 13 years, I fast. Um, so I always will uh, fast at least uh, anything between 16 and 24 hours. Uh, I find that helps me very much to stay focused. And uh, yeah, and that's really worked. I think intermittent fasting has risen and people start to, you know, have started to see that it's important. I don't do it from a perspective of weight loss. I do it in perspective of it, that I think it's going to enhance my longevity of life. Um, and uh, it just, just works for me. But that's me being a self-scientist. It works for me. Mm. The other thing is that I believe in sauna um, very much. And uh, to the point where, yeah, I, I put one in our place because uh, I think sauna has very positive effects. But um, make sure that we've got a disclaimer on any of that. I'm not uh, uh, telling anyone to do that, but uh, that's what I have found to be successful. And I think uh, that's the thing we're talking about. I mean, for me personally, like fasting doesn't work. Sauna I love. And, and it's a case of, like you say, finding what, what works for you is always the, the key. That's it, experimenting. Greg. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, I'll, I'll do self-promotion here, but a book, you know, we've got a book coming out called Self-Science mm. and uh, I'm really happy with it. Uh, and, and that's what it's all about. Um, don't start looking on Instagram and that sort of stuff and go, oh, okay, a keto diet is fantastic. Now, well, to, to follow a keto diet, it's very, very, your mindset has to be very, very strong. So that works for me. Um, you know, because I have that sort of mindset. But most people that go on a keto diet, they go on for a period of time, lose a significant amount of weight, go off it, and then they put back on that weight. It makes perfect sense. So anything like a diet, when something is a diet, at some stage you're going to have to go off the diet and more than likely you're just going to return to normal. Find a lifestyle that you can live and that's your answer. Mm. 100%, that's great. Mm. Yeah, that is really good. All right, last one. Anyone alive, must be alive, that you could have a conversation with or invite to dinner? Absolutely anyone. Oh, they're alive. Um, well, I'm very lucky because my family, they're the ones I would, but I get to have dinner with them all the time, cool. uh, which is great. Um, I mean, if, if it's someone really interesting, we could bend the rules a little. <laughs> uh, yeah, look... I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by a couple of authors um, that come to mind. Um, Robert Greene, uh, Ryan Holiday, I think would be good, who, who is only a young guy, 30s. He'd be very interesting. Uh, and Robert Greene was his mentor. Robert Greene wrote some classic books, 48 Laws of Power. I recommend that book highly. Um, the Laws of Human Nature, um, <clears throat> Mastery. He'd be very interesting to, to sit down and and here i think as well mm. awesome well thank you so much for coming and chatting to us i feel like i personally got so much out of this conversation which is uh, awesome. thanks thanks for reaching out it's been really enjoyable and um and it's and it's good uh, that we worked out greg that we do know each other as well so that's nice yeah, it's, it's <laughs> long overdue it's great and as ali said i could speak speak to you for hours it's uh it's very fascinating
Yeah, thank, thank you. you for your time. No, no problem. Thanks for listening to the Better Being podcast. If you want to learn more, follow us on social media at Better Being PT on Instagram and as Better Being on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you like what you heard, drop us a review. And until next time, stay well.